Hi, it's Zoe. There's no doubt we are in a brave new world. We've never been in situations like we are now, and what we're going to do next is critically important. But it doesn't all have to be doom and gloom. I think there's huge possibilities and opportunities for us as leaders to come together and to craft a future worth living in together. My guest today is going to help us do that. He has been working in the leadership space since 1980. That's over 40 years of coaching and training of leaders around the globe. He says over 10,000 leaders worldwide, which is huge. So he has a unique opportunity and understanding of what makes people tick and how leadership works on a large platform in a global context. He is an expert in transformation. And today we talk explicitly about how to lead through these uncertain times of the coronavirus. So stay tuned for some top tips on where to start when we're faced with uncertainty and the actions we can take thereafter. My guest today, his name is Barry Pogorol. Hopefully I pronounced that correctly. I was so engaged in the conversation, I forgot to ask him how to pronounce it. So my apologies if I got it wrong, but he is so right in so many of the things that we talk about. He is from Culver City in California. Okay, let's do it. Barry, oh my goodness, you are in California, I take it. I am, and it's uh, 4.05 in the afternoon here, and I think it's 10.05 in the morning where you are, is that right? That's right, we are live from the future, and it's uh, it's a sunny, beautiful day today. That's great, well, it's sunny and beautiful now. It's been cloudy and rainy, but it's gorgeous now in Los Angeles. Yeah, well, I think it's that's a good way to think about the day because we need some positivity right now. As uh, just before we click record, you were telling me that LA is in total lockdown. And when we're recording this, which is March 18th, Australia is not yet in total lockdown. So we know it's coming. We're probably maybe a week away from that, if not sooner. So what is total lockdown like at this stage? Um, well, I would say, first of all, I interact with a lot of people, you know, mainly by video conference, but I would say in Los Angeles, it's really everywhere. Cause I, I, I was on the phone to a, a leader in Ghana this morning where I'm going to be doing some work. And I would say the mood is uncertainty and fear. I think that's really what's there. And, um, I, I was telling you before we started, you know, we were going back and forth. You see a lot of humanity being displayed here. Both people, you know, <laughs> fighting over toilet paper, mm. but also a tremendous generosity and kindness with people in very difficult situations here as this was mounting. I was actually very inspired and touched by people. But else can shut down. The studios are all closed. I have a lot of clients, writers, directors, producers in Hollywood. It's all shut down. The studios are shut down. The uh, big uh, Technology companies like Broadcom, which is also one of my clients, is all working remotely and people are adapting. I think for those bigger companies, it's a little bit easier because they have the technology, they've got the resources, they've got organizational systems that are more resilient than some other businesses. Like we were talking about this yesterday in the leadership group that I run. And it's a lot of the frontline services that are that are going to be hit hard because their cash flow will dry up. Yes. What yes. What have you been noticing around those fellows who those people who are on the front lines? Well, I, I just talked to a, a uh, an interesting CEO who also happens to be an MD 
and he's a serial entrepreneur. And, you know, he's just being as creative as he can be. He's getting drawing on all the creativity of people around him. He's looking at alternatives for what he has to do. You know, he's obviously got cash considerations and, you know, every resource he can draw on, he's drawing on. He's not trying to do it by himself. You know, and in the United States, there may be a, a bit of a government bailout for small businesses, which is about 50% of the commerce in the United States is smaller, smaller business. So that's all in the mix as well. Yeah, we're looking at that as well. So the, the government here has flagged that there will be some concessions and support for small business. I guess the question is like, how long until things get back to normal? And nobody knows, really. Um, yes. How long have you guys been in lockdown? Is it a couple of days or is it longer? The mayor, uh, the mayor declared uh, Los Angeles in a state of emergency two days ago. The governor declared it, I believe, three days ago. All restaurants, bars, uh, gyms, public pools have been shut down. Uh, you can pick up, you can order and pick up food from restaurants, but they're not really working. So it's, you know, it's all really within the last couple of days. It sort of came on really fast. It was sort of like, you know, at first it was sort of, yeah, this is happening, but we'll be okay. Then it was like, oh my goodness, this is getting real. And then with the declarations of emergency, it got very real. Yeah. So really two days into it and people are kind of like, what does the new normal look like at the time being? So you work a lot with leaders and what are your conversations with them looking like right now? Well, you just touched on something, what you said a moment ago, which is I noticed people are, were in a mode of waiting for it to go back to normal. And my sense is that it's not going to ever go back to, a, to anything. I think we're going to come out of this in a new world. And in some ways, maybe really beneficial. You know, for example, um, I know one organization I work with who's kind of been hesitating getting into the world of technology fully. And now they have to. And they're finding ways of how to use technology to do business completely because they don't have any other access. So I think a new world of, of business is going to arise. And those who really adapt to that and don't try to hang on to the past or go back to the past will do okay. You know, I think that's the kind of leadership that's needed now. Yeah, create a new normal and get to... Yeah. I've been thinking about this also. I went for a run this morning because I can still run at this stage. <laughs> yes. And I was thinking, yeah, this is a huge opportunity for leaders and their teams to create a new future for themselves. We don't have to fall back into old systems. We can actually generate and create new systems. So if we're gonna do that, yes. if we're gonna create a new normal and create new systems of business, of interaction, of community, how do you suggest leaders start with that? Like where is the starting point for designing something like that? That's great. You know, I think, you know, I, I, my discipline is the discipline of transformation. And I know a lot of people use that word and they mean kind of a, a big change. But I don't mean it as a big change. I really mean a reinvention of something. And you just said something I think very important about the future. You know, it's one thing to be sort of optimistic and positive now and all that, but that's kind of Pollyanna. I think it has to begin by really acknowledging what's there. Transformation always begins with an acknowledgement of what is so now. And what is so now is I think a hoping 
that things will go back to the way they were. Certainly, as I said a moment ago, fear and uncertainty. And, um, you know, that's kind of what's there. You have to get that and kind of put that aside to start to create new possibilities. So I think you have to first acknowledge sort of what's already there for you. And even the fact that the predictable future that you had five days ago is gone. And any attachment you have to the predictable future, you know, you know, in the movie, uh, what was the movie with Cher and Nicolas Cage, where he falls, in, he has one arm and, you know, he falls in love with her. And at one point she slaps him and says, get over it. <laughs> <laughs> because she's, I think she's marrying his brother. I think it's like the predictable future, get over it, slap. You really need to get, you need to acknowledge that you have that and then get over it so you can start creating something new. And if you don't have the skills for that, like because you've always had some sort of sense of predictability about the future, because we had a future based on a number of different assumptions, which did not include a massive pandemic that was going to shut down the world. So we don't have a predictable future. We're creating a new one. We've got acknowledge what is there already, which is, okay, this is the situation. These are the knowns. There's very few of them. And these are the unknowns. How then do we then choose or create a new direction? Oh, it's, that's wonderful what you're saying. Let's see. To use the, the language of the kind of consulting I do, it really begins by taking a stand. And what does that mean? You know, what the heck does taking a stand mean? Well, it's a declaration. You know, uh, one of the great influences on me has been linguistics. And there are certain- I love linguistics. <laughs> That's so cool. Oh, yeah, I, uh, I studied it in oh, university. Really? I just did one unit and I just thought it was fascinating and I loved it. So that's yeah. cool. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's wonderful. You know, um, well, linguistics has a lot to do with ontology, which is the, my discipline. You know, an ontology is the discipline of being. You know, the great ontological philosopher Heidegger said, language is the house of being. And if you think about that, it's a profound statement. How we speak and how we hear, what we listen to, really affects who we are and maybe even is who we are. So if you're going to take a stand, you know, in linguistics, uh, a stand is a declaration. So, you know, the prime example here in the United States would be the Declaration of Independence. These got together and they said, we're going to create something that's never been created before in the history of the world. There's no template for it. There's nothing predictable about it. In fact, we have a king who would say otherwise, right? And they, they declare themselves to be a free sovereign nation based in, you know, that all people had a voice. And so that was a declaration. And when you make a declaration, it's not like other speech acts, like for example, an assertion. You know, I could assert that, you know, we're having a uh, video conference and an assertion is something for which you can provide evidence. And I'm looking at a video screen and so are you, and you could give a lot of evidence for we're having a, a video conference together. But a declaration isn't based on evidence. It really is based on what you stand for. So how, how do you determine what you stand for? If it's gonna have any power, it's gotta be authentic. Again, like I said before, this can't be some Pollyanna positive thing. You know, what can you stand for? And one of the things I have been offering to in the client conversations I've been having the last few days is, you know, 
what is asking them, what can you stand for authentically now? Can you stand for discovering and creating a whole new business with new ways of functioning? I think that's a really important step and a, a really one that it's one that can galvanize people and really motivate them to embrace the uncertainty and go, right, if we're going to stand for something, let's do it. And I love the analogy back or the example back to the Declaration of Independence because that, yeah, that was a totally brand new thing. It's like we overthrew a, a distant sovereign, which is our from colonial times. This hasn't been done before. We're going to self-organize. Haven't done that before. There was, you know, the example of, of Rome, ancient Rome, but that was a long time ago and a different context. So the idea of self-creating is a really useful one. And there's so much uncertainty on that. But if it's founded on core principles that are meaningful to people and a vision of the future that is powerful and hits emotional cord, yeah, you got something that can rally the troops and get people engaged with that. So I love that as a first step. And I think that's that's really positive. There's lots of energy in that. And I can feel that as a way to help shake us out of our reverie around this, you know, I'd love to see government do that too. It's like, what are we going to stand for as for the future of government? What we have is no longer going to work. Uh, what stand are we going to make together as a government, as a nation about moving forward? How are we going to look after our vulnerable people and our healthcare system and our financial system? So we are so interconnected. And so there's so many interdependencies in there and there's so many little soft points what can we do now differently in terms of creating a future that is far more uh, resilient and anti-fragile so I think this is Nicholas Taleb's his ideas of anti-fragility are really important and we need to bring that to the fore as well so yes let's make a declaration awesome <laughs> I'm behind that and then yeah, I, I love I love what you just said too because normally you know for example let me just footnote that maybe we can come back to it okay i think there's a leadership crisis in the world i agree at all levels government in business everywhere what we should come back to that but i want to just take off on something you just said that i think was so great you know normally a future is something that's predictable for people you know even the way uh, companies do strategic plans you know they look at what they've done and you draw a trajectory into the future and maybe you have a quote stretch goals but it's all very predictable in a way. But when you take a stand, you're really producing something that's discontinuous. It's not simply an extension of the past. And in fact, that's how breakthroughs occur. And in the kind of consulting I do, it's all about breakthroughs. You know, I was thinking the other day, somebody, uh, a new client said, well, give me an example. And I said, well, in, not, I think it was 1954, Medical science said the human body could not run a four-minute mile. The body would break down, you'd die. And there was a doctor in England named Roger Bannister who said, no. I don't know if he used the language of stand, but he took a stand that he was going to break the four-minute mile, and he did, and he didn't die. So that was a breakthrough. It was not a predictable future. And what's interesting is in the months following Roger's breakthrough, Lots of other people broke the four minute mile. So he, you know, one of the hallmarks of a breakthrough is it opens up a world of new possibilities. But any stand you take has to be followed by action. So the Declaration of Independence was followed by, you know, you know the colonial war. I mean, they had to go to war. And it wasn't, a, it wasn't a sure thing by any means. In fact, they darn near lost it many times. But one of the things that impelled them forward 
was again what you said, which is a future you create has to be something that moves you and touches you and inspires you. Otherwise, it is a Pollyanna bunch of optimism or positive thinking. You really have to see what moves you to compel you. Well, I'm pretty moved and compelled right now. <laughs> I'm so excited for the leaders that we can energize uh, right now because together we're going to make something amazing. So let's come back to, you seeded it, let's go there. What is the leadership crisis from your point of view? Well, leadership as I see it is largely missing in the world. Or if it does occur, it occurs sort of accidentally or fortuitously. And I am of the view and experience that leaders are created, not born. So what are the hallmarks of a leader? Well, I think there are certain fundamental, it's kind of like the floor on which any edifice you build called leadership has to be built on. And one of them is that one's word is one's bond. Yeah. I'm just, I'm a little concerned you're quoting Melania Trump, who quoted other people, but <laughs> oh, it's an interesting no, touch that. point. Oh, you don't remember that from the inauguration when she gave her speech, um, oh, first no. lady's speech, and she she basically, one's, one's word is one's bond, and there was a whole scandal because it was basically echoing what Michelle Obama did as first lady. You don't remember this? No, I don't remember. <laughs> but in any case, I can imagine. I can imagine. It's a powerful but, message irrespective of that analogy and that anecdote. You know, there are a lot of platitudes that float around in our society and yeah. even come from the mouths of our leaders. But, you know, integrity is a big deal. It's a big deal. And when, you know, and I've seen it because I always make sure that gets installed in, in any organization, whether it's a small company or it's a large company, that really gets installed as a practice in the company. You know, that people honor their word and that, uh, that leaders hold people to account for what they say, right? And that they are held to account for what they say, right? And then when someone says they're gonna do something, you know, you know, I remember when I was uh, doing work at Microsoft and I worked with a lot of people there. One of the things that caused a big shift in the culture was when people said they were gonna be at a certain time rather than showing up late, which was sort of an acceptable practice, suddenly they start showing up on time. And when a meeting was going to end by a certain time, it ended by a certain time. And if they were working on a piece of software and they had to hand it off to a next team, that they would hand it off on time. And then if they promised to the marketplace they were going to deliver a new product by a certain date, they delivered it by a certain date. You know, and the result of all that was Windows 7, which was a big step forward from what had come before, which was Vista. So integrity is a fundamental, very important thing. I think another very important thing in leadership as the kind of the floor is a kind of authenticity or honesty. You know, what, what more can I say about that? You know, honesty. <laughs> authenticity and honesty. Yeah, it sounds very transparent. What are people doing instead of that that is causing a leadership crisis? Well, I don't think people are always good for their word. And I don't I, I've seen uh, one company that I worked with that ran into uh, some trouble with the, the government. You know, a whistleblower uh, said they were doing something unethical and it caused a big scuffle and the SEC came after them. And I was working below the CEO level, so I wasn't working with the CEO, unfortunately. But I watched him not be straight with people. He wasn't honest about what he was dealing with. Now, 
There are things he shouldn't have revealed. That's kind of nobody's business. But, you know, he could have been honest about the, the situation and what he was dealing with. So it left the workforce in great uncertainty. Mm. And people left during that period and the product productivity dropped. So a kind of transparency, I think, is very important. Yeah, that's an interesting one. Like whistleblowers, there's always a fine line with whistleblowers. Are they speaking the truth or are they serving a vendetta? And I think it's always one of the things that's that comes out when you think about a whistleblower that is unfortunate because it takes a lot of courage to be a whistleblower, especially if you're calling out the truth and you're not doing it vendetta-wise. Uh, to call out the truth is whistleblowers get hauled over the coals for it. So how leaders respond, I think, is telling, as you say. So there's a lot of leaders who are very self-interested who would then try and cover it up, mask it, vilify, etc. And I think that is, as you say, symptomatic of a leadership crisis, is that we have a lot of visible leaders who are doing these things, deflecting, lying, playing down, vilifying others who would speak the truth. And we're hard-pressed to find leaders who can take a criticism and own it. And I think when we find leaders who do that, we should showcase them, we should celebrate them, and we should honor them because they're modeling what it takes to, to stand up with integrity and to be authentic and to model what the world needs. So have you got examples of leaders who can do that, that we can share and showcase? Absolutely. Um, may I say one last comment on what you just said before I do that? Yeah. I really like something you just said, which is, I think, another foundational aspect of powerful leadership is listening. Hmm. Really listen, you know, and for people, the people who are being led to be heard, uh, really be heard, you know, and, and listening and really listening to someone and really hearing them fully doesn't necessarily mean you agree with them. On the contrary, you don't need to agree but you can sure as heck really get what they have to say fully and take it in and let them know you got it. And, you know, as a leader, not only does it empower the people you're leading, but it also gives you data. It lets you know, and, and it gives you and expands your own view. You know, you may see things that you hadn't considered in what's being communicated. So really complete listening, deep listening is a, is a crucial aspect. You might enjoy my colleague's work. It's actually called Deep Listening. It's a wonderful little book with a set of cards by uh, my friend Oscar Chimboli. And he takes a deep dive into deep listening. And it's, um, he That's peels strange. back the different layers of listening that you can do from the content to the context and all the layers in between. Very good. Um, Very good. So I think it's lovely that you raise that. And I think you're right. So we've got to be quiet enough in ourselves as leaders, humble enough to be able very to good. listen and to really hear and curious enough to ask the right questions. That's very good. And, you know, and quiet, I like what you said, quiet enough, because, you know, there's a lot of noise, especially right now mm. with virus, when there's a crisis, there's a lot of noise going on over here. You know, people are quick to react and quick to interpret and quick to judge. And you really have to uh, recognize that and put it aside if you're going to really hear another person. It's just very nurturing to be heard also. So it affects the well-being and the productivity of a workforce to be heard. I agree. And how can you do that at scale and remotely? So I think you can do it 
well and easily when you're face-to-face, belly-to-belly with someone? How can you do that with a larger team and through the interwebs, through video? Uh, what are your some suggestions around that? Hmm. Well, I think, I think it's good to know when you're speaking to a group, I think it's good to know what you're speaking into, if you will. What do I mean by that? All day today, in all the meetings I've had with various people by video conference, you know, I talked to someone in Tokyo, I talked to someone in Ghana, as I mentioned. I started off all the conversations by asking, how are you doing with this crisis? And I listened and I wanted to know. And they had a lot to say, you know, sometimes one of the one of the people I spoke to said, you know, I'm fine. And I said, really? That's all you have to say? And then he had a lot to say, right? <laughs> What are you speaking into at any given time? Find out. Give people a chance to share with you first before you start saying what you have to say. And when you do say what you have to say, stop regularly and ask them how what we're saying is landing for them. Do they have something to say about it? You know, find out, is it getting communicated? You know, when you play tennis, you don't just hit the ball over the net. You got to make sure it lands on the other side of the court. So when you speak, is what you're saying landing over there. And if it is landing over there, how is it landing? How is it being heard? How is it being interpreted? And that gives for a very rich dialogue. It takes longer because, you know, we'd all love to just say the way, tell them what we want to tell them and move on. But it doesn't work that way with people because everybody has that noise, especially at a time like now. But even when a company goes into any kind of crisis or there's a downturn or there's an issue they're dealing with, there's a lot of noise going on over there with people. So you got to give people a chance to respond to you. And it has to be an interchange. You know, the word communication has within it the word communion, which is a being with. So it's not just broadcasting. It's a really being with another. Yeah, that's lovely. And as we talk about this and explore like integrity, authenticity, honesty, and deep listening are all critical and for the action piece. Once we have make a stand and then take action, this is the flavor that we need to infuse the action with. I'm wondering if you want to play a little bit of future casting with me at the moment. And I think this might be useful for our listeners as well as we sort of model how we might do that. So let's make a stand. Let's ease into the future that we want to create. What have you been thinking about when it comes to the, the new future that we can create, the, the wonderful opportunities there in terms of how businesses might operate, how communities might operate, and how governments might operate? What are some ideas that are percolating and coming up to the surface? If, if it's not ideas, what questions are coming up for you? Mm, that's great. Well, I think one of them we've been talking about, which is, you know, there really is nothing to go back to. And that it really is, uh, when you can get back past the sort of emergency crisis reaction, and you can start to see that this is a new world. This really is a new world. You know, we don't know, for example, with this, with this coronavirus thing, we don't know how long it's going to go on for. You know, the predictions, it looks like it's going to be a while. You know, the first vaccine, they say, won't really be available for a year, you know, and maybe single peak in the next few months and then they'll go down but it's not going to be gone right so that's long enough for us to have to adapt to a permanent alteration in things so you know i like the word possibility a lot 
And possibility is like a space. So rather than approaching this new future with a longing for the past and a, and a hoping that it will go back to something, what's possible now? I think that's a very powerful question to ask. One of the things that came up for me that was possible, for example, for my own businesses, I'm already doing quite a bit of work since I work with people all over the world using video conferences. But right now, even all the clients I have in LA, I can't meet with. So I'm doing conferences with them and I'm meeting with groups of people. We were planning on having me conduct a course I do called Being a Leader in the Effective Exercise of Leadership, it's a very powerful leadership course about being a leader in Africa. Well, now we're looking at doing that by video conference with hundreds of people. So it's got me more like living in questions than having answers at the moment. Not like, oh no, how do I do that? But like, gee, I'm committed to that. I've taken a stand. I really, for a long time, have wanted to empower the people of Africa and the leadership of Africa. It's just an interest I've had. And here's this opportunity I have. How can I contribute what I have to contribute in this situation? Not like dread, but like a possibility. What's possible? And one of the things we came up with today was, why not do two or 300 people all by video conference? How do I do that? I don't know, but I'm going to do it because I'm committed to do it. I think a great question for people to ask is, what's possible now? Yeah, I think that's, um, that's a really good jumping off point. What is possible now? And part of me goes, what needs to be in place also to create new possibilities? So if, if we're going to have a lot of online communication, there's a lot of companies that will benefit from that. So having high-powered internet is going to be critical. So if you're a high-net internet provider, you know, ramp up your game. We're going to need you more. All the technology that comes along with that will, will certainly benefit. And actually, the other side benefit of this, if we imagine this future where we can do a lot more remote connection without having to travel somewhere, is that the load on the carbon impact of minimizing flights will give the planet yes. a chance to breathe a little bit more. So there's that opportunity. So I think imagining the possibilities, we need to be mindful of the losses as well. And one of the things that I'm concerned about, actually, is the loss of, well, is the ramping up of touch taboo. So always in the courses that I run around leadership, when we bring people to, together live, there's always been an important part about icebreaking where you have some sort of touch activity, whether you're problem solving something or passing a ball or, or there's some sort of connection so you can get the oxytocin moving uh, between people and build the trust within them. And through this chaos, we're going to have much more heightened touch taboo, meaning it's going to be difficult to feel comfortable around other people because of that ingrained fear of will I catch something or communicate something and yes. so we might move to a lot more social distancing that doesn't uh, we can't short circuit the oxytocin so that's one concern I have the other one I have is is what about the people in the short term who are isolated so I have a husband so I'll have somebody in lockdown with me and there's plenty of people who don't who live on their own and so they will not have human touch they will not have human connection and what that's going to mean for their well-being so as I move to what's possible now, it's like, what do we need to have in place in order to overcome some of these challenges? What can we do to help that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. You make me think of uh, one of the poets I've always loved is Rainer Maria Rilke. Yeah. You know, Rilke, he was an Austrian. And 
he said, this is going to be a rough quote, but he said, it's not the answers we live into that give us power, it's the questions. Yeah. And I think that's a beautiful quote because it really opens up a world of exploration and inquiry and, you know, innovation. I don't have an answer to the, to the question you just posed, but I'm sure glad you posed it. I hadn't been thinking about that, and I will now. It's now in my can. You also made me think of, um, I read a book last year by David McCulloch called The Wright Brothers. And it's really quite inspiring, uh, you know, particularly the first part of the book where he's talking about what these two brothers did to fly. And, you know, it was amazing. I mean, you know, back then, we have all these movies of people jumping off buildings with the wings and looking, and we laugh, we go, ha, ha. Back then, it was, it looked equally ridiculous. <laughs> when they, and, you know, physicists were saying, it's not possible. So heavier than air flight is not possible. And uh, there were even imposters who claimed they flew and didn't fly. And these two bicycle makers, went about studying birds and other things to determine how to fly. And what they went through to do it, you know, they, they had to find a place where they could fly. They found Kitty Hawk and on the East Coast of the United States where there were sand dunes. The problem, one of the things they encountered was in the seasons when they needed to fly, there were hordes of mosquitoes and there wasn't any mosquito spray back then. So they had to sleep under wool blankets in the middle of very hot summer to keep the mosquitoes off. And at one point they did a flight, I don't remember which brother, it crashed and he permanently injured his leg. He never walked normally after that. Nothing stopped them. They kept living into the question, how can humanity fly? And when you live into a powerful question, it gives you an array of answers. It's not a guarantee you'll succeed. There's no guarantees when you're trying to create something new, but it certainly gives you much more power and many more possibilities when you've taken a stand and you live into a question. That's fantastic. Uh, what a wonderful way to end the conversation uh, with questions. <laughs> I think that's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, right. uh, yeah. And I think um, what would be awesome is actually if people started posing questions and gave the gift of the question to other people as we've, we've shared a couple here. And people can do that on the podcast Facebook page. The link will be in the show notes, along with some of the book references and the quotes that you've mentioned. I'll make sure I get all those posted up for folks as well. Barry, thank you so much. This was fantastic. I look forward to staying in touch and sharing our leadership insights for us and for the people that we serve as well. Oh, thank you. So wonderful to speak with you, Zoe. I really appreciated the dialogue we had. Thank you so much. <laughs> You're welcome. I love talking with Barry. I got so energized in that conversation. I think the positivity and the opportunity that's ahead of us as leaders is huge. And my key takeaways from our conversation, one is to acknowledge what's there already. I think that was really important. It's like, okay, let's just deal with what we've got and not trying to brush it under the carpet. The second piece was to take a stand, a declaration. That was so motivating for me. I hope you feel energized by it too. And the third one is to start deep listening and to ask questions. And I think with those things combined, together we can start to create the edge of possibility. So grateful for Barry joining us on the show today. I hope you got lots out of it. I'd love for you to share your questions on the Facebook page. The link is in the show notes. Together, we're going to pose some amazing questions to open up ideas 
and how we can get through all of this together. Thanks so much. In the meantime, live well, lead well.